Hi and welcome to this Fireside Chat organized by Toom and Ross Republic. My name is Adrian. I'm partner at the consultancy Ross Republic. And we have recently teamed up with Toom to create a new white paper, which is called It's Time to Build, Making the Right Technology Choices to Enable True Business Transformation in Banking. In the paper, we invite you to discover the most important market shifts happening in banking and fintech, the key technologies driving the industry forward, as well as what to look out for when choosing a co-banking solution. The white paper has just been released, uh, so I really recommend you to check it out. Uh, you can do that on Toom's blog, which you find at toomplatform.com. And the fireside chat today is our third and final episode in which we illustrate how a modern technology vendor evaluation process should be designed as well as the key factors to consider along with it. Um, you can see our guests already on the screen, so let me quickly introduce them. Uh, we're really happy that we're joined by Andres Kitter from LHV UK. How are you doing, Andres? I'm good, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be in this uh, podcast, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, so Andres is the head of LHV UK. Um, LHV is an Estonian financial group offering a full suite of banking services. It's the only provider capable of granting customers to both instant British pound and euro payments directly. Um, it's also the trusted provider and partner um, for uh, payment service providers for years, servicing a variety of uh, customers ranging from fintech unicorns to established financial institutions. Previously, Andres was working at Skype for over six years. His last position was uh, payments and, part and billing partner manager. Um, so Andres, I would be really interested to hear from you firstly, what excited you to enter the banking industry after six years at Skype, and then also maybe in your own words again, what LHV is offering? Um, it's a very good question. Um, I think Skype as a, a company has provided to all of employees really good growth platform. And uh, I was dealing mainly with the payment partners. Uh, Skype had 24 payment integrations. We offered 64 uh, different payment methods. Um, and that actually gave me a very good understanding what a good merchant uh, needs from the banking partner, payment service provider. And I ended up um, just consulting LHV at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but I got a really good uh, feeling uh, while talking with the LHV founders that this is exciting bank which actually can build the product offering beyond the retail banking, what we did at that time to also a kind of banking services, a, a merchant services business. So uh, um, it was really challenging uh, um, kind of role what um, was presented and, and that's why I took it. Although Skype, as said, uh, was a magnificent platform for, for, for many, many employees. So awesome. that's part of Skype as well. Yeah, yeah so sounds great. So. Um... Then let me quickly also introduce uh, Thomas Toivonen, who's the co-founder and CEO of Holvi. Um, how are you doing, Thomas? Very good. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, so Holvi is uh, the uh, home for freelancers and small businesses, um, especially a home for their finances. Um, and it offers a business account, MasterCard, invoicing and bookkeeping tools all in one place. Um, so Holvi simplifies the more time-consuming distractions of financial administration, helping business owners to manage their balances. Um, so again, Thomas, thanks a lot for joining. Um, could you also quickly describe your own background and also um, Holby's offering quickly in your own words? No, absolutely. Um, I've been with Holby um, since the start, um, uh, so the past 10 years, um, and been a very interesting um, road to, to building a, a B2B neobanking pioneer. Um, we were five years part of, of the Spanish banking group, BBVA, now since the um, so about about 12 months we've been now a, a fully team owned entity after a management buyout so it's been very exciting 
last year for, for us. Um, and, and yes, um, we provide a, a full set of services for small businesses in, in, in Europe, uh, Germany, Finland, main markets, um, and our customers get a cash flow management uh, service from us, all the payment services they need. Um, and we have a credit offering now um, in Germany and Finland for freelancers in pilot capacity rolling out in, in the first quarter and in, in larger volumes. Yeah. Great. Our and then our third participant is Tum. Uh, sorry, it's Rivo Rivo from Tum. He's the co-founder and chief business officer. Um, Rivo, could you also provide a short introduction to yourself and what Tum is offering? Absolutely. And hi everyone. And absolutely a pleasure to be with you here, like Adrian, Andres, and Thomas. And as Adrian said, uh, I'm Rivo, uh, like chief business officer and co-founder at Tum. And if you ask what Toom is, then Toom is an API-first next-generation core banking suite, which means that uh, we are the platform of the likes that, <laughs> like the guys at Volvi or like the guys at LHP, are basically, let's say, uh, selecting uh, after a certain period of time when they look, uh, let's say, uh, to what kind of accounts to chase, what kind of new business models to launch, and so forth. And uh, yes, absolutely, I have been one of the uh, critical guys to launch this venture. So that when we saw the void on the market, uh, we understood that we have something in our skill set and experience base, what to offer to the market. And here we are, and uh, really looking forward to the uh, discussion today. Yeah. All right. Amazing. So I think um, let's directly jump into one of our main topics, which is how the evolving technology stack at banks uh, will affect vendor procurement. Um, in a white paper, we call it building a foundation for growth. Um, just to provide some context, our main message is basically that to generate new growth and transform a business, it now really takes a deliberate strategic decision about which digital business models to line up against. We talked about them in the last episode, for example, platforms or aggregators. Um, it takes a deliberate decision where to, where to play in this new uh, ecosystem of business models, which new technologies then also best support that business model. And also lastly, how to win in this new evolving embedded finance era. Um, so what we have been seeing as well is that the um, most or like largely the, the business models underlying at traditional banks have remained largely unchanged as well. So it's very balance sheet heavy, very lending focused, um, which in the business environment over the last years has 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 been quite challenging. Um, and they have to compete against new business models, which are more origination focused, more focused on um, uh, uh, value added services, for example, digital distribution. <clears throat> So, um, um, yeah, and, and that's, that's basically how we concluded that um, digital transformation is most often focused too much on the technology part itself, whereas um, the underlying business model should be a critical part of that whole evolution as well, which has been overlooked sometimes as well. Um, so when you re really uh, do an, a strategic vendor assessment, it's really, really important to also look at um, um, how, how these new type of vendors that are just emerging, they provide new assets to infrastructure, software, and processes, mostly over a software as a service model, which is easier to integrate, easier to follow best of breed approaches, um, in contrast to like, let's say the more traditional traditional uh, ways of integrations, where you probably just went to a large provider who had an extensive um, product suite and product catalog um, at a time where integration was hard, and that is changing more and more. Um, so for example, today it's, it's, it's way easier because of cloud microservices, APIs, um, to choose very specific service providers for specific jobs and, and tasks that you want to um, get done in, in your banking proposition. 
Um, that's why we basically concluded that it is it will be more and more important when you uh, assess your strategic vendors to basically map it out uh, based on your technology impact. So how much new um, technology or how to which degree can they bring new technologies to your bank and fintech? and as well the degree to which they enable business model innovation. Um, for example, do they allow you to expose your services and data to third parties? Do they allow you to build, let's say, a marketplace that combines your own services with third-party services easily? Um, do they allow you to uh, distribute your services over APIs? All these considerations will probably become more and more important so that you not only focus on the tech, but also on the business models. Um, so my first question would be, how, how has strategic vendor sourcing um, evolved, um, especially when it comes to integrating smaller players as well? Um, and, how, and what should you take into account going forward um, in this whole new ecosystem? Um, maybe Rivo, if you, if you want to take that first one from a, from a vendor perspective, and then I would be really interested also to hear from Andres and Thomas how they, how they see the landscape evolving. Yes, the landscape for the vendor selection, uh, let's say, uh, this landscape is, let's say, quite colorful, uh, to say so. And uh, But uh, what I can also definitely see over the last uh, one or two uh, years is that uh, customers selecting uh, their partners and vendors are like uh, smarter and smarter. And, and this is like something we like also a lot at Toon. So that uh, quite often now also the customers already know what they are after. So that uh, like in quite many cases, the customers have been building uh, some of the, let's say, uh, part of the stack in-house. So they know like the business inside out, then they know whether they want to replace it or they want to like acquire a certain set of uh, new, new features. So that like much more educated, uh, let's say buyers on the market. I mean, this is only good for the, let's say, uh, ecosystem at large. Then now when we look also the plethora of uh, different vendors out there, so that uh, there are like different key characteristics. There are players uh, who went uh, down the route of uh, great unbundling uh, in the fintech era, so that they do this specific small niche like uh, in a really, really good manner, and they skip all the rest. Then there are like uh, some of those uh, larger infrastructure players who have taken the, let's say, really hard route. These are basically the category of uh, players like uh, like Toom. And you cover really, let's say, the, the large variety uh, of things. And then I, I see that uh, there are also like certain aggregators who act as a kind of, let's say, mashup uh, service yeah. providers. So who are basically tying different uh, bits and pieces together and trying to offer the constellation of value uh, to the customers. So yeah, the landscape is uh, definitely colorful, but also we definitely see also that uh, buyers are like uh, smarter and smarter. Mm -hmm. So that we have also had the luck to engage with a number of uh, super smart uh, buyers. And it is only like making us happy to engage uh, like on those interactions. Yeah. Um, maybe also from Thomas, I know that uh, uh, some of your infrastructure has been built uh, in-house. Um, and how has how, how do you see now this whole um, vendor landscape evolving, for example, for very specific tasks like, let's say, choosing specific vendors for AML, for underwriting and so on? Um, how has that evolved? Is that, has that become easier to integrate or um, if you compare it to like when you started out almost 10 years ago, um, how would you describe the landscape now? 
well, I mean, of course, the, the huge change in the landscape um, has been that there is just so many players out there these days. Um, so that, of course, um, if I look at it from the perspective of, of being a buyer, it's it's it used to be that there's like one or two options. Now there's like 10 options. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that that that, of course, um, makes it more and more more challenging. Um, but of course, buying has um, become much easier, um, a much more pleasant process um if i look at from from our perspective we're a very technical organization um for us it's often the first discussion is already that hey um we'd like to to see the apis we'd like to see our own eyes that okay how would we integrate this this solution and if i um kind of look back like five ten years ago it was like almost impossible to to get to evaluate a vendor's technology um before going through like three four five meetings with um the sales team of a vendor before you, you you could actually see what what you're really buying uh from a technical perspective and that has radically radically changed so um often the the technical specifications the apis are available on the vendor's website no ndas required yeah. um so also makes it much easier to evaluate as it's a technical organization, um, uh, basically, um, as, as there is much more options out there. Um, and of course, it, it also um, allows evaluating kind of vendor solutions from a kind of subset perspective that, okay, there might be 20 different APIs, uh, 20 different solutions that a vendor um, offers, but you can quickly assess that, okay, what parts of that would be potentially relevant for, for you as a uh, as a neo bank um, looking to to integrate um, additional um, solutions, so um, so it's much more fun to to um, be on the buyer side these days. All right, amazing. I'm sure Andres has has his own view on this topic as well. Yeah, it's um, it's a very interesting topic, and um, I think the main principle is that it's never binary. Um, you always need to have your own engineering team. You always have your own proprietary uh, solutions and. Uh, where I'm coming from um, is the principle that what makes the competition advantage, rather build it by yourself, what is commodity, really find the best player out there and outsource it. And you can outsource actually quite a bit of things. Um, I think LHV journey has overall been very, very positive in a way that um, we started as a brokerage firm. Uh, we applied for the banking license in 2009. Then we did the first assessment, how we... Uh, proceed whether we're developing everything in-house or actually go after a a, a vendor uh, we assess the vendors out there in 2009 some of them still uh, offering the services and we're actually part of our second uh, rfi which we did um, beginning beginning of last year uh, but i'll come back to that later um but um, we decided in 2009 to build our own platform but with the principle that we always look at the other vendors who can provide certain services uh, for us in uh, in a properly outsourced manner. Our brokerage services in certain markets are provided by interactive brokers or Saxo Bank. Uh, our AML yeah. platform has always provided by the uh, different vendors. So we've been very, very flexible. Now, fast forward uh, to 2020, when we decided that our banking services business and our UK branch, what we have at the moment and where we serve our fintech customers, um, 
needs to be converted into the UK licensed bank. And then we made another decision uh, and went after RFI and assessed all the vendors out there who can provide us a, a best solution. Although we already had a banking platform, core banking, accounts, payments, cards, and so on, we still went to assess the, the options uh, at the market. So there are so many different players out there. And and again, if, if, if you bring it back to the basic principle, mm-hmm. what is specific to me, I will build in-house, but the commodity I will outsource. And then yeah. we, we approach the same logic. Yeah, amazing. I think... Uh... Um, the whole evolving landscape, as you just mentioned, becomes more and more complex. Um, that's why also we have tried to um, segment all of the providers and to provide a little bit of more uh, of a better overview of what's happening in the market right now. Uh, because uh, yeah, all of you mentioned there are more and more providers. Uh, some of them are more specialized. Others are uh, you know have a more broader and more extensive product portfolio. Um, and I think there are a lot of new breeds um, of banking services and software providers that have emerged that now enable banks, um, fintechs, and in fact, like any brand to launch digital digital uh, banking business models. Um, so on the surface, many of these players offer the same, like integrating an, a, a current account or integrating payment cards, but the nuances and like the delivery models uh, can actually vary quite a lot um, depending on which vendor you're choosing. Um, I can also see a lot of, uh, um, yeah, a lot of um, conf- um, confusion in the market where let's say uh, product managers at banks or fintechs um, don't even know the exact differences between let's say a core banking provider and bank and or providers that brand themselves as banking as a service providers, um, what exactly the differences are um, as well as all the, the, the whole new emergence of all of these more specialized providers that are now popping up in the market. So we have basically um, um, yeah, to, to divided this whole landscape into full stack versus niche solution providers, and then uh, pro- providers that have a license uh, in house, and uh, ones that have not a license, and they, they usually work then with partner banks um, outside of the organization. So that's how we basically um, provided a, a short, um, yeah, conf- um, overview of of these providers. Um, just to give some examples, full stack providers we're seeing in the markets in Germany, for example, with Solaris Bank. They have a quite broad suite of like accounts, payments, lending, and they're also licensed as a bank in Germany. So that's um, that's one option to go with, with different pros and cons, obviously. Um, then you have niche solution providers um, in that category fall, uh, the whole PSD2 open banking providers that offer um, account insights and uh, transactions over the PSD2 rails. Um, and some of them are licensed, others are not. Um, so that's uh, that's obviously something to consider. Um, and then you have the the whole segment of full stack providers, which are usually not licensed. Uh, I think that's typically like the co-banking providers like Tomb, um, where, which provide yeah, the software to run a bank. Um, and usually many of the clients um, even get their own license then or, or then also work with a partner bank in the background. Um, so yeah, I would be I would be interested also to hear from your side how you see this whole evolution and how you see these segments. Um, maybe also from Revo again, um, I know that Tomb has had a recent rebranding um, because of the whole modular banking term has been quite you know, distributed across the whole industry. So that was obviously probably difficult to keep that one going, but um, how do you see this um, evolution of, of co-providers and banking as a service providers? Yep, and uh, this one also like, yeah, let's say partly it maybe goes back to my previous answer that the landscape is colorful. So that there are mm-hmm. like tons and tons of uh, players. But yes, what concerns also the rebranding so that uh, who is not aware, then until end of September this year, uh, last year, we were uh, carrying the brand name of Modular Bank. 
But as modular banking was becoming a generic term, so and we are not the license holder, so we had to basically initiate the mission and uh, find a new brand identity. And that was when Tomb emerged. And uh, Tomb has such a cool uh, meaning in Estonian, which means core, and uh, trying to describe also the essence of uh, what we do. But uh, from the vendor perspective, uh, uh, we, uh, yeah, uh, let's say, look this landscape uh, in a very pragmatic terms that the ones uh, who are offering uh, their service together with the license, and they are really in this kind of a regulatory compliance banking business. Then there are players like uh, Tomb or Tot Machine or Mambu, who are uh, basically the generic core banking system providers without the license. And uh, we belong into the category of technology players. And already there is a huge difference. So that in one case, uh, you already subscribe to a service uh, where the license comes along. And in other case, you need to acquire uh, the license on your own, and then you can operate the tech, tech stack. So that uh, each of the uh, business model has its own pros and cons. So that maybe it's also like a good time to give a word to Andres and uh, Thomas, so that uh, how do they see this kind of uh, diversification on the landscape? and. Yeah. I, I have a very specific question to Thomas already, which would be um, if you could start Holby again, would you still choose um, to, to get your own license and, and, and then just use the specific technology um, vendors to build out your stack? Or would you would you just go for um, a banking as a service provider, which are licensed, which would then also provide you with the license and you just focus on building, let's say, more the front end part of your offering, which, which we have seen, for example, in, in, in Europe and in Germany, like many of these new fintechs have chosen not to get a license and just start out with that what's your view on um on that basic decision that most of them have to make well i mean of course <clears throat> if i look at from from our perspective when we started out um which was like 10 years ago um the options of not getting a license yourself didn't exist um the technology solutions out there were really classic core banking vendors as a 10-person startup um you wouldn't even have been from a resources or from a process point of view you wouldn't have been able to purchase those services it, it was just not not geared for for what we were at, at at that that point um so it's really hard to say um would i have um done things differently because you always use um what is available um at the at the time um i mean if i look at for a completely new entrant to, to the market at, at this point, I would probably start with a banking as a service platform, something that brings both the license um, as well as the technology. Um, but of course, depends a, a little bit um, where I want to bring my innovation. If the innovation is very close to the customer, if it is um, on really on the customer interface, then outsource the the, the financial services, the, the banking, um, but what we'll probably start to see in the, the next couple of years or to, to a degree are already seeing that some of the, the neo banks that started with a BAS platform are now starting to either acquire their own licenses um, and use that um, with a, a maybe the same technology provider they have um, or then with having an own license, um, they have the flexibility to then um, bring additional vendors um, 
select those solutions that that work best for 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 them um so starting with a bus provider um, is a great way but then at some scale you probably want the flexibility you want the margins um, and you want to be more in control of your destiny yeah absolutely i can fully fully agree with that um i think that has also been at a time where the customer experience at more traditional banks has not been that great so uh, many also like in the SME banking space um, providers just launch by using let's say a Solaris bank type of offering that have bring them the license but also um, a very standardized product set so all you can focus on is the customer experience which was at that time better um, now the traditional banks have actually quite uh, let's say good baseline of digital services also in place the question is how can you uh, differentiate or just on the customer experience level so then I think it's more and more important to go also into product innovation and and there you need more flexibility, which then gives you or brings you to the whole um, segment of co-banking providers, which which basically allow you to create um, whatever, almost whatever you want in terms of product configurations and uh, um, yeah, and, and the tech setup. Um, also in terms of geographical um, uh, expansion, I think it's also an important topic, which is quite limited when you go with a fully licensed uh, BAS provider versus if you have your own license, you can be more flexible around that. Um, so Andres, um, how, how do you see that? Um, choice now um, opening up uh, i think one very very important matter is the client life cycle as thomas also pointed out that uh, you probably start with a certain solution and evolve into into different um, as you grow but i think there are a lot of threats uh, built into that decision as well um, as a as a founder or as a ceo of the company you need to really consider um, what are the pros and cons for each individual solution. And if you go for a fully bar solution where you're using someone else's license, it does pose some, some threats as well. First of all, you are very tight to the one provider with technology and license in the same time. So the investments while you're growing are significantly bigger to migrate yourself away from that vendor because you, you, you need to invest your infrastructure, whether this is a vendor-based or own built, it doesn't really matter. You need to invest into your licensing. And thirdly, you need to invest into migration of your customers as well. You need to think all those matters through if, if you make that decision. In our banking services portfolio, we have different uh, stages of the customer lifecycle. We see different selections, what they're doing and how they're selecting the vendors. There are a lot of customers who who really using the agency services from other financial solutions, uh, financial service providers where they don't have license, but they're also mostly licensed by themselves. And I also think that uh, if you're going to the banking services or financial services market, having understanding and focus to your licensing and governance and regulatory aspects is very, very important. If you at the beginning um, put it somewhere in the back uh, and, and don't consider it as a high priority, you also create a different organizational culture. And that might be quite complicated to uh, change later on. Yes, first of all, you are a technology company, but you, you, you also play a very uh, on a very regulated uh, landscape. And, and that's why I think it's, it's very, very important to, to understand where you are. But there are different options available. And... Um, Again, it, it de depends what kind of business or service offering you have, whether this is a more monoliner, whether it's a full stack uh, or full service banking services, 
and how do you see your growth? And uh, Adrian, you pointed really well the geographical aspect. Uh, banking regulation is very geographic specific. In Europe, you can passport to license well, but you cannot passport the European license to US or Asia. So those are the considerations which which every every company needs to have as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Anders, could you also quickly um, describe a bit what um, elements you have considered when you did the RFP and choosing a new core provider, and um, what have been like the, the core elements that you're looking for at this um, uh, of, that you had been looking for when you were mm -hmm. um, choosing one? Yeah, very good question. Um, so we had a very specific approach, uh, and it's a combination of uh, uh, functionality, what's available, um, trustworthiness of the partner. Um, future growth and uh, and expansion in terms of service um, as well, integration uh, with our existing services and uh, other preferred partners, and obviously the commercials, which always need to see because we are in a banking services business in transactional banking, which is uh, very sensitive of the price points as well. So we, we cannot um, really uh, forget the pricing aspect. For us, of course, the regulatory aspect wasn't that, that important, although um, we need to uh, always um, understand that uh, the banking regulators always look very carefully your outsourcing partners and, and also the vendors who are providing you the core banking solutions uh, or whatsoever. And I think it's very important to, to follow how the regulators changing their attitude towards the different outsourcing matters. And I think, especially now, it's critical to look how is evolving UK discussion around public cloud usage. And recently, BRA, the UK financial regulator, has um, highlighted some concerns about the resilience. So those are impacting very, very uh, significantly this month. Okay, super interesting. And Thomas, from, from your side, you mentioned also that you um, have been in the process of launching a, a credit card for your customers. Um, what have been some of the considerations that you took when looking for the right partners to launch a new, such a new feature? So for us, um, when we started on, on the, the road to um, rolling out an a, um, initial credit product, um, we really wanted to, to start it in small. Um, it is a new area for us. Um, so we have um, a lot of people in the company with background in, in credit but as, a, as a company. It was uh, a new um, opening. So we actually took a, a really an approach that first do things that don't scale. Um, so we really built the initial offering um, in-house with our core solution being really really Excel. Um, so building it um, kind of from from small beginnings, um, making sure that we understand everything that goes into into the process so that we are sufficiently educated ourselves as well. Um, when we start to look at vendors, when we start to, to make the decision of, of build or buy. Um, and, and that's something that I would really recommend um, for kind of new entrants to, to anything related to, to financial services that, that you try to do something small before you commit to a, a solution um, so that you are a, a educated buyer. Um, 
which is of course um, in many ways um, difficult for a completely new entrant, especially if you don't have your licenses. That is a big push to, to become licensed. Um, and only then um, you can start to do um, certain things. So again, there as well, um, bus providers that provide both the license um, as well as technology, very helpful. But of course you do then, then take the vendor, vendor lock-in um, and you're maybe taking that lock-in very early in your company's life where you are not in the best position to know what exactly you want for the long term. Yeah, no, fully agree. And um, Rebo, uh, now from your side as well, uh, Andres has mentioned functionality, trust, future growth, expansion potential. Um, Troma started small, first uh, built some, a small solution in-house to, to be better informed and educated around what vendor to choose. Um, uh, I know that, yeah, what are the challenges that you're seeing at clients? Um, and then we can also maybe go into how Tum is approaching these challenges. Um, I have some some points in my head, but I would like to like first hear from you uh, in general terms, like how you see what's what's happening. I think these are all very relevant points that both Andres and uh, Thomas uh, highlighted, and maybe to let's say uh, let's say bring or highlight few additional thoughts that we are seeing basically across the globe when interacting with. Uh, institutions with various sizes like really from the like new entrants to already large regulated banking groups yeah so that uh, uh, one thing definitely that nobody uh, can underestimate is the time to market and uh, what are basically all the let's say cost uh, factors associated uh, to launch such kind of uh, value props so that uh, we at tomb we have a lot of belief into the configuration based launches so, which means that uh, when already we at, uh, let's say, who are behind the platform, we know what kind of capabilities, instruments uh, the customers already require, and then we make those capabilities available as configuration, which is significantly reducing the risk and the time and the effort required to launch those value propositions. And also it is a good thing for the customer because then they are much more self-sufficient and uh, they can uh, own this product management and uh, do things in in like very agile and uh, nimble manner so that is something that uh, like let's say is one of our core belief that uh, configuration based uh, and also avoid the kind of uh, custom one-off development as, as part of the offering uh, the second aspect uh, is also the functional coverage. Uh, also, uh, Andres and uh, Thomas both highlighted this one. And we, as let's say the core banking infrastructure provider, we have taken really the overwhelming uh, core infrastructure approach. But also it, uh, it means that knowing what we do and what we don't do. So that namely we do this heavy lifting side of the core banking infrastructure. But then at the same time, this is not everything. You still have the AML services, verification services, and so forth. And over there, we have a twofold uh, approach uh, which we offer to the customers. Namely, we either offer an a la carte menu of like three to five more common used vendors in those areas, or as alternative, if customer already has their, let's say, favorite, for example, verification service provider, let it be Estonian Verif, let it be like on or whatsoever, like we leave the integration endpoints open so that uh, we do not force customer you, you to use anything out from the a la carte menu. But at least there is an option to have end-to-end -end service available. 
Then the second key aspect uh, when considering, let's say, different technological choices and implementation paths, then there is something we love a lot. And uh, this is what we call a gradual approach. So that if you look already, may, may, maybe even let's say three to five years uh, ago, then many still uh, decided that it's either everything <laughs> or nothing. So that uh, now also, as, as Thomas highlighted, that you have your core offering, you want to expand into new areas, uh, you at least, let's say, even for some time being, uh, run the business in Excel, if it's scale and you decide to go forward, then you can move forward with that piece. And it doesn't need even, let's say, to change the, let's say, rest of the core interactions. But uh, the gradual approach uh, also is, is one path uh, for the large regulated entities, how to modernize the offering. For example, you start with the consumer finance offering, you establish the critical endpoints to the treasury risk systems, scoring systems, uh, uh, payment gateways, and so forth. Once you have this success in place, then the success is built on top of the success like enhancing your offering later to the SME financing, mortgage lending and whatsoever, this is already uh, so much uh, more easier. And also the belief that change is possible, uh, it's, it's getting there. Then uh, Andres also highlighted the efficiency factor. So that uh, I think, yeah, like, and this entails also the cost. So that uh, we have a lot of belief into the simplicity and transparency. So that the customer always understands that there are no hidden fees, and uh, basically the cost structure is something that you can predict, predict and rely on. That we have seen various vendors also uh, in our like former lives when advising and consulting different institutions. And uh, <laughs> there are plenty of different schemas. So that's why we decided uh, to go in favor of simple and transparent option out there. And uh, definitely also the uh, choice that, uh, let's say, uh, how you run and operate your platform. And this also uh, concerns the resilience and business continuity and how does the regulator see those aspects. So that we at TUM, uh, we have decided that, uh, of course, we follow all very closely what the regulators say and, and where the industry is moving and applying all the best practices. But also from the technical perspective, we do a bit of extra work and we keep the platform infrastructure agnostic, although born in the cloud. So which means that as a sole vendor, we are able to demonstrate that how does the exit strategy actually work? So that uh, those are the kind of uh, key characteristics maybe that uh, we see out there, like yeah. uh, reoccurring basically on, on global basis. Absolutely. I think one very interesting quote that we also have in the paper is uh, that one of your customers told you that it um, basically took them six months and 100,000 uh, euros to, sh to change the interest rate of an existing credit product. Um, that, like that brings us to the first point that you mentioned, which is around um, customization versus configuration. Um, so I guess that's that's uh, gradually also a very important point. Um, maybe also from Thomas would be interesting to hear from your side. How do you avoid these kind of lock in effects and how do you like ensure that you're um that you don't have run into these problems that that you know older institutions have and you know just running on quite um let's say um older infrastructure with a lot of tech debt that, that then brings a huge cost base with it and especially if you want to change something how do you um how do you approach this topic well i mean it comes comes a little bit to, to also what what anders mentioned um that um outsourcing in the financial industry it is an area under increasing scrutiny it's always been been important but even more important um, these days um, so as a financial institution you can always outsource a process 
um, or you can outsource a tech, uh, part of your, your technology stack, but you still, um, and, and you, you cannot outsource the knowledge, the understanding, you still need to understand what the product is that you're offering to your customers, what the process is 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 behind um, the, 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 the offering. Um, so you really need to have that knowledge, those skills um, in-house um, and also hold um, whatever vendor you have um, accountable. Um, and, um, and if you have that knowledge and understanding in-house, then it is very important that that you have also the agility um, with your vendor that um, you have rapid configuration that you can change your your offering, that it remains yeah. your offering um, instead of um, lengthy customization cycles where, yes, you want to do some change, but it takes six months um, and a lot of costs to, to, to get that, that okay. done. Uh, then you've taken the type of vendor lock-in that you really don't want. Okay, fully understand. Anders, um, anything you want to add to, to Rivos or Thomas' points? I think they're all very, very relevant points and, uh, and outsourcing and vendor selection in, in, in terms of uh, agreed uh, configuration options, agreed uh, how we do certain changes, change management is critical here. And uh, that's why I think you always need to consider the regulatory aspects. But mm -hmm. um, I think your example is, is very good about... Uh, making a change which may take a lot of time it's yeah. it's a classic example how the old banking call systems are not capable of uh, keeping track of the um, innovation and uh, i think if you look at the large banks the most of the core banking solutions would never never uh, uh, considered uh, for example bst2 uh, uh, account services information uh, options so they're just simply not built for that. And, and that's why you have a lot of costs related to, to upgrading those systems and making those systems suitable for, for, for the modern uh, banking services. Well, what do you think, how will the landscape evolve then? Is there, um, I guess there's, as we, as we mentioned, space for the fully licensed uh, banking as a service providers that help, let's say, really early stage fintechs or also others uh, that are not coming from the financial services industry to launch quite fast because they already bring the license and the regulatory expertise with them. Then you have um, broad suite of providers like Toom, um, which, which um, yeah, are like really modern co-banking providers. And then you have, of course, there's still, uh, still the like uh, segment of uh, traditional you know, uh, providers um, that have a super extensive product catalog and yeah, are still trying to also obviously modernize their own systems um, and bring that to the cloud and, and so on and make them more configurable. What do you think? How will this um, segment split up in the future? Yeah, <clears throat> some of the providers are more closer to the competitors uh, of LHV. So, of course, we would recommend every fintech to consider their future path, whether this is yeah. a fully serviced path. Um, where they are pretty locked in um, to one single provider or actually have their own license, invest into the license and use um, a la carte, like uh, Rivo said, that you need to understand what's important for you in certain time frame. You will evolve definitely um, to certain other geographies or, 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 or service areas. So build in the flexibility uh, mm -hmm. right away. And uh, yeah, as I've also mentioned that, Thomas, sorry, uh, I mentioned that you start with uh, um, MVP, which can be excellent, yeah. but you evolve if the business complexity is growing to, to, 
to actually uh, proper uh, applications and services. Yeah, sounds great. I think uh, that is also one of our main uh, messages that we have put in the paper, which is that um, like the, the leading and winning institutions of tomorrow are basically leveraging technology, not only for the technology sake, like that you're not moving for the cloud for pure cost savings, for example, um, or you know using APIs uh, just because it's regulated, uh, um, uh, mandated by regulations, but really rethinking that how to use technologies and also the new breed of providers that are born in the cloud, as, as Rigo has said, um, and use that really as a competitive advantage, because it's it's probably very clear that um, in the future, the um, uh, at least one part of it uh, will be that uh, financial institutions will compete on their technology stack, and it is already the case today. Um, so rather than seeing technology as a pure cost center, it's really about um, holistic transformation, which takes into account your business model as well and the customer experience, um, which are then enabled by technology um, and not just defined by it as it was in the past. Um, so yeah, I think that will be very, very interesting to see what kind of new business models are emerging. Um, we see a lot of fintechs also in Europe now creating new, uh, very innovative new approaches to finance um, and that are built on, on new technology stack. Um, so that will be very interesting to follow. And I think, yeah, for all of your considerations and all of your um, anecdotes and um, opinions that we have heard today are really, really important to consider. And I think um, very interesting for audience as well. So yeah, from that, from my side, I would then of course, uh, thank you again for participating in this episode. Um, if anyone is interested in the audience, they can check out our white paper where we, where we go actually much deeper into all of these topics um, on tombplatform.com. Um, and yeah, thanks a lot and uh, speak to you soon. Thank you for your inviting. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.